You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 43 of Fantasy Thumbball. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt, and this is the show where we turn movies into sports and sports into something we don't talk about. Or maybe we do, because today we are going to be talking about sports. We are going to be talking about Air, Courting a Legend, the new film by Ben Affleck, which is, of course, a basketball movie. So we do talk about sports today, and we're going to be drafting sports movies, the greatest sports movies of all time. And in keeping with our show's first episode where we do talk about sports, let's talk about sports. Uh, Dylan, did you ever play sports as a kid? Were you a sporty kid? I was a sporty kid. I started off playing soccer and baseball because that's like what my family told me to do. And it was fun. Just then I eventually hit my growth spurt and my baseball strike zone doubled. So I went from being someone who gets a lot of walks, a lot of doubles. <laughs> so I can't hit the ball and I strike out a bunch because I'm like, oh, my strike zone is still small. It wasn't. So at that point, I transferred over to basketball where it was a lot more fun and engaging for me. And I went to college to play basketball. Did I play basketball in college? No, but that's what I went to college to do. So oh, it, it, it was fun and whatnot. But yeah, I've played a lot of sports up my time. The aforementioned baseball, soccer, I was a goalie, basketball. I did track and field for a week. I always wanted to play football, but I was never allowed to play football because like getting hurt, concussions, everything like that. But what about you? Yeah, well, I, I always, I don't forget anymore because I know that you're like 6'5", but I, I still sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, you're 6'5". It does make sense that baseball would be tricky because, yeah, your strike zone would be... Uh, I'm not 6'5". I don't even know my height, but it's not tall. Um, so I've never been that much of a sporty kid. I, I was in theater, man. I, I did high school theater. But that said, when I was a kid, my dream was I wanted to grow up and I wanted to be a baseball player. I fucking loved baseball. I played first base I think I stopped playing baseball in the eighth grade because I was a dorky little theater kid and I didn't get along with the athletes on the team. Like, I did not get along with them. I was just like, I don't fit in here. This isn't my crowd. This isn't... They don't like me. <laughs> so uh, I stopped playing baseball around when I went to high school. I wish I continued I really like baseball. It's the one sport I really rock with. I am Canadian. I've never played hockey. I have no interest in playing hockey, which might be a travesty to hear. Uh, am I betraying my country? Maybe. But hockey is boring as shit in my mind. Uh, I'm not a hockey guy. What What are your thoughts on hockey, Dylan? Well, I am from Virginia where the weather can one day be 30 and the next day be 70, like it was this week. So um, hockey is never something I've ever had the opportunity to even play if I wanted to. So 
it's yeah. I would say it's the one major sport I know little to nothing about. Like I know the teams and I know how the game's played, but I couldn't name you more than maybe like three players and like what's going on currently in like the NHL or anything oh, like that. Oh, me neither. That and that's the this is why I'm a bad Canadian. I couldn't name more. I can name Sidney Crosby, Mitch Marner. Hey, that's one more. Than Wayne me. Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. That's it. Those are the three that I can name. And the only reason I can name Mitch Marner is because I had a friend in high school who constantly made jokes about Mitch Marner, and that's the only reason I know that guy's name. Uh, Otherwise, I know nothing about hockey because I suck at being Canadian. Well, if it makes you feel any bit better, I always wanted to do theater, but I was never good enough, I guess. I don't know. I never tried, but, like, memorizing words and sentences was not my strong suits like i would get a script and then not be able to memorize because i remember i took theater one time in high school and my role was the big time actor who didn't memorize its lines I was like, oh that's perfect for me i don't have to memorize my lines but then you had to memorize <laughs> the, the fake lines so like i would yeah. say something random and then the other actors would be like, that's not the line but, but that's the point though i'm not supposed to say the fake line i'm supposed to just come up with just a random line but uh at so that point, what you're saying is you were full method yes exactly i was a little daniel day lewis sadly exactly the, the, the uh, career started and ended there yeah maybe you should have gotten into improv then maybe who, who knows but <laughs> that's the key but we have a lot to go over today we have all the sports talk but before that this is a show where we don't talk about sports, so I feel like we are obligatory, have to do our predictions for the day. Yeah, absolutely, we have to do our predictions for the day. This is what we always do. So today we're going to be talking about these flippin' crafts categories. So let's stop talking about it. Let's get right into it. Today we're going to be talking about the crafts categories. We've broken up all the categories into different kind of uh, fields. So last week we did the techs. This week we're doing the crafts, which is costume design, production design, makeup and hair, score and song. Five categories today, and we're going to be alternating between the two of us. Make sure you drop your own predictions in those comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think we got wrong. We want to hear from you. Uh, But let's get right into the first predictions today. Dill, take us away with costume design. So everyone out there, rejoice, rejoice. I know Matt and I have both been very low on Barbie's Oscar chances, but guess what? Costumes, this is where I feel best about it. I have it at number one. The trailer just came out and got us a look at all the costumes. They look great. They look bright. They look vibrant. This is a category where you can have a solo winner. You can have a solo nominee. So even if Barbie isn't a big picture player, above the line type player, costumes feels very safe for a nomination, at least at this point to me. Feels like a, you know, a feel-good frontrunner. Mm-hmm. Actually, with Barbie, I'm starting to soften a little bit because I was expecting more backlash on some of the trailers. I was expecting to go into the comment sections and see a bunch of, like, angry incels being like, Ugh, who asked for this movie? I, I don't see that. Maybe people are going to get off their high horse and go see this movie. So, I don't know. I'm still not going to put it in picture. I think the odds are still stacked against it. But you're right costumes feels so safe those costumes look stellar oh my god this trailer looked good yeah i really like the trailer as well and i guess for people who may be new here uh i'm not on the same wavelength as matt for like the reason why barbie won't perform well i'm more with warner brothers has too much this is option number three i don't see them having three best picture nominees but for costumes the costume designer is jacqueline duran she has let me count here one two three four five six seven nominations 
and two wins under her belt. And I mean, like I've said before, costume design is a category where you don't need the picture love. You can get in here. We saw Cruella do this a few years ago. We saw Eyes of Tammy Faye get nominated here. We saw House of Gucci get nominated while the movie was panned. So like, to me, feels very safe here. After that, we do have some Best Picture nominees getting represented. Color Purple, West Side Story got in. The first one got nominated. There's no reason for this one not to get in. And then we have Dune Part 2. So we have all three Warner Brothers movies as my top three in costume design. <laughs> uh, continue, though, because I think you got another one right afterwards. I do. I have Waka, and at number four, the costume designer is Lindy Hemming. She won all the way back in 1999 as her only nomination, which, you know... Wonka could be a solo costume design nominee, and I know I said that for Barbie. I had Barbie getting, I think, at the moment, three or four tech nominations, so it wouldn't be a solo, but it would be a solo winner. But for Wonka, it's one I really don't know what to do with at the moment, because like I mentioned before, Warner Brothers has so much on their plate right now, but they're all so good. And it's like, or maybe not good, we don't know that yet, but they all look like they should be good, and they all look like they should be across the board at least multiple nomination movies, and can they have four strong good campaigns in one season who really all knows? for the same categories too that's the crazy thing is barbie dune color purple wonka are all vying for the tech awards all of them what the hell this doesn't happen it's it, crazy it is and like i feel like you and i are both on the same page one of these movies should get pushed we know it's not barbie and we know it's probably not color purple so is it Dune not being done in time? Is it Wonka getting pushed just because I, too much? I kind of think Dune's not going to be done on time. I kind of have a little feeling Dune is not going to be finished for October. They've already said it's not going to be finished for September. It's not coming to Venice. It's not coming to TIFF. Is it going to be finished one month later? I don't know. I, I don't know. I would tend to agree and... On a personal note, I would also like to see Dune push. I don't want to see them rush this in terms of like a personal enjoyment type of thing. And at least looking at some tech awards like we had last episode, Dune has a huge competitor. It goes to next year. Maybe it has Avatar 3, but we don't know if Avatar 3 is making that date. So Dune may look Avatar a lot better next year. Avatar 3 will get pushed. Avatar 3 is going to get pushed. It's just going to happen. Dune Part 2 would still win VFX next year unless by some goddamn miracle... Uh, the seed bearer comes out, which is Avatar 3. Yeah, no, I, I don't expect Dune to make it. If we don't see a trailer by mid-June, like, yeah, before Barbie, then Dune's not coming. Mm-hmm. I, I would That's have to agree. I, I would have to agree. But that brings us to our number five slot here. And this is where, for me, this category gets weird. I run out of Warner Brothers movies because I'm not putting Aquaman in. And I'm leaning towards Napoleon. It's a war movie. Yes, they usually miss. But I don't really know what else feels good in this spot. Because Napoleon, it is a war movie. But it's also going to have a lot of older French costumes as well for the time period. Chevalier is a movie that looks good on paper. But the costume designer has never been nominated. It's coming out so early. Will it be remembered in the conversation? I know Cruella did that. But Cruella was a sweeper. This won't be a sleeper. Little Mermaid is there. But... Probably not. Rustin, it's a new costume designer. It's not the person who did Ma Rainey, so maybe. Priscilla has Elvis costumes, and then that leaves me with poor things, which I feel like is the probably next in line, but I also don't want to over-nominate this. It's a newer individual doing the costume designing, 
They did Lady Macbeth, which did get a BAFTA nomination, but did not get an Oscar nomination. So it will be another type of period piece, kind of like Napoleon, but also not to the grand scale of something like a Napoleon would be. I know you're much more confident on Napoleon than I am. I'm not feeling strong about that film. Uh, Ridley Scott is so uneven. He's so all over the place. He has been through his entire career. And keep in mind, Ridley Scott, he's been working since the 70s. He's only ever had two Best Picture nominees, Gladiator and The Martian. He doesn't typically have to perform well with the Oscars, and Napoleon has just given me all the bad vibes. Even from the photos that we saw, the color grade is off, man. I, I don't know. So if Napoleon is big, it can get in costumes. But I don't know. Well, that's I don't know. What, that's what I mean here. I don't really feel good about anything past number three. Barbie, Color Purple, Dune, yeah. Wonka makes the most sense, so that's why it's at my four. And then at that point, those other six movies I just listed, none of them look, not look, but none of them sound good to me. So yeah. Napoleon makes the most sense because of the period pieces, but it's also a war movie. 1917, All Quiet on the Western Front, both missed. So I guess to you, what would you put in that five slot, assuming that we had the same top four? Well, I would say of your list, Poor Things would be the most likely for me. Yes, it's a newer individual, but it's a Victorian-set gothic tale. Uh, and it's Yorgos Lanthimos, who I assume he knows what he's doing in hiring these different people for for this film. He knows what he's trying to do. But if not Poor Things, I think I would suggest Killers of the Flower Moon, right? I mean, The Irishman got a nomination for costume design, even though why the fuck did that get a nomination nice for costume suits. design? It was just suits. Everyone's wearing a suit. What, you go to Brooks Brothers and you walk out with a fucking Oscar nomination? What the fuck? Uh, but Killers of the Flower Moon is not that. Killers of the Flower Moon is so much more than a bunch of guys in suits and Al Pacino wearing a Hawaiian shirt in one scene. It's more than that. It is a film that... It's set in the 1920s, it's set in Prohibition era, and not only does it focus on the FBI agents, it also has a, a lot of indigenous people who are wearing a lot of interesting costumes. From, from the script I read, That there's a, a huge focus on traditional indigenous dress and, and the costumes there. They could do something really interesting with that, uh, and I think it can stand out enough. The interplay between these Prohibition era FBI agents and the uh, the Osage tribe in Oklahoma is going to be really interesting. So I I would recommend that one. Otherwise, I think you're also missing out on putting Asteroid City on your list. Yes, I know that we're not confident Wes Anderson can make an Oscar movie, but he should at least be in the top ten. French Dispatch would have ended in the top ten for costumes and production design, did not get nominated for either, but it was probably one of the next in line that year. Uh, and this one probably will be too. I mean, we've seen the trailer. We know the costumes look really good. Does it mean it's getting nominated? No. Also, I'd say look out for May-December. May-December is from Todd Haynes. He always does some interesting stuff with the clothes in his movies. The costumes are always very good. This is a contemporary story, though, so who knows? Also, if Oppenheimer's a thing, maybe look out for that. Fair enough. I, I like this shot for Killers of the Flower Moon. Probably that should be my Apple movie at number five, but I will admit my bias for Napoleon 
something that I'm very interested in. So maybe I am over predicting it. But I feel like the whole angle of where they could put older French outfits could get there. But Killers makes more sense. Speaking of all that, though, we have another category where all the Warner Brothers stuff is competing for this nomination. Best production design. Matt, kind of where your you know standings looking at this moment. Dude, now that you mentioned that these are all Warner Brothers movies, you've got me fucked up. I <laughs> I don't know what I'm... There's no way. There's no goddamn way that Warner Brothers gets four movies in and three of them are releasing within two months of each other. Like, how the hell does Wonka come out on December 15th and The Color Purple comes out on December 25th? How the hell does that happen? You know... Warner know. Brothers are going to Warner Brothers. They've had a very interesting, I would say, start of pandemic to now of how they're releasing movies and doing stuff. And I mean, it seems to possibly be working out with them for money wise, not for the creator's happiness. But we'll see what happens this year. Yeah, I do have a feeling something's going to get pushed or something's going to get left behind. Um, but if not, let's just pretend that everything is on equal footing from Warner Brothers, and let's just go with hypotheticals not based around studios, but based around the films themselves. We'll talk studios when we get to Best Picture. We're just going to talk about the films right now. So for Best Production Design, I'm going to switch things up from what I've been saying in all of these uh, videos, because you'll probably see me over and over saying... Dune Part 2 isn't going to get all the wins that it did last time. There's no way Dune is going to get this nomination and win that it got last... It's not going to get an editing win again. It's not going to get uh, spoilers for later. It's not winning score again. But I do think it's winning production design again. Uh, I keep saying the same thing, which is, yes, of course, Dune is not going to win every award that it won in 2021. But I do have it winning this one, and the question is, Why? And the answer is a question. What's going to be different? Is there going to be enough new that the Academy has reason to vote for it again? Right? We see this with uh, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right? In the Lord of the Rings, the first one did all of these things. It got all of the awards. The second one came out. And there were some things that were different. But for the most part, you know, the music was mostly the same which it didn't get nominated for. Cinematography looked the same, which it didn't get nominated for. But there's a few things that changed, and those are the things that it still carried through and either won for or got nominated for again. And same with The Return of the King. What changed? I mean, everything changed in Return of the King because it was bigger, it brought in these new locations, these new sets, it did things differently, and that's why it won again. And my understanding of the second part of Dune is that it's going to have a lot of new settings, a lot of new uh, focus on planets that are not Arrakis. We're not just going to be stuck on Dune again. It's not going to just be the desert. We're going to see the more of the Harkonnens planet. We're going to see more of the galaxy. We're going to see more of the ships. That's going to offer a lot of opportunity for very new production design. Plus, there's massive battle scenes, right? And in this category, I do think that there's enough different. There's not going to be enough different in score or cinematography, maybe even editing, sound, but production design will be new and it will be enough to win another Oscar in my eyes. Uh, in my second place slot, I've got the color purple. 
<laughs> Surprise, Warner Brothers. Let's keep going with the Warner Brothers. Color Purple is my second place. Uh, reasons being, the production designer of this film did The Shape of Water. We know the cinematography is going to be great. It's Dan Lauston doing it. And these categories often correlate quite a bit. Uh, we usually see the winner of cinematography get a production design nomination or win. And since I have Color Purple winning cinematography, I have to have it in here. Plus, it's a period piece. There's going to be some fantastic creative visuals throughout, both exteriors and interiors. Outside, they're going to use a lot of flowers. That's a central part of the color purple, is these, these purple flowers that exist all over the place. It's going to be visually stunning. It's going to be very interesting. And the interiors are also going to leave a lot of room for interesting ideas. Uh, and that's, that's really the reason there. I could even see this winning if Dune Part 2 does not. Uh, in third place, Barbie. Come on! Come on! We saw the trailer! We saw the trailer! That looks awesome! And even if the movie isn't a big thing in picture, it's in here. The production design is crazy! The colors, how vibrant and bright everything is. It's eye-popping. Everything looks plastic. It looks like the entire world has become like a playset in a child's room. It's so, oh my god, it looks great. Uh, and so what I will say and why it's in number three, not number one, we know Barbie World looks great, but we also know that the entire movie is not set in Barbie World. The question is, does the rest of the film look as good as what we've seen from Barbie World? Yeah, and I think another great point to backpack off of Barbie here is that we've seen in the past few years there may be movies that look very good on paper, like a Babylon to win production design, but if you're not in Best Picture, you usually can't win this. And if we have Barbie both missing picture, it does not look like this may come along with it. Absolutely. And the next one that I've got, oh God, man, I have... <sighs> I'm going to have to bend on some of these Warner Brothers films, but I've got Wonka in fourth place. Now, we haven't seen much from this, but it's another period piece. And what I'm going to say is trust in Paul King. The Paddington movies should have been in production design, and if they were given an Oscar push, they could have been in production design. Those are fantastically designed uh, movies, and Wonka is going to be magical. The production design is going to be a part of that. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken here, and if I am mistaken, Dylan, cut this out. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, Tim Burton's Wonka movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, did get a production design nomination. Plus, the production designer of Wonka is Nathan Crowley, who has six nominations, mostly for Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, he's not doing Oppenheimer, weirdly enough, but he has six nominations, usually Christopher Nolan, and he is, uh, he's revered in the industry, and I think that that's enough to get in here. Uh, I mean, we saw Tenet got a nomination for Nathan Crowley, even when the film was snubbed basically everywhere else. So maybe Nathan Crowley gets this film in on his own merits, but also it's going to be magical looking. Well, you'll be sad to hear that the Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chakra Factory did get an Oscar nominee, but it was not for production design. It was for it was costume, costume design. design. But at the BAFTAs, it did get costumes, mm -hmm. production, visual effects, and makeup and hairstyling. Okay, interesting. Good to know. Good to know. So I, you don't need to edit that out, but let's just, let's say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory doesn't necessarily mean production design, 
but I have confidence in Paul King. I have confidence in Nathan Crowley. My fifth place prediction here is Killers of the Flower Moon. Scorsese, period pieces, get in this category. The Irishman, Hugo. Not Silence, but Silence didn't get in anywhere. The Aviator, Gangs of New York. Uh, the script of Killers of the Flower Moon has a ton of opportunity for interesting production design. It reminds me of Power of the Dog in the interplay between these homestead-style houses with the Great Plains of Oklahoma. Uh, it's a very big movie, and even if I'm predicting this to kind of underperform a little bit, this feels like the type of nomination that comes along with it. There's going to be a lot of interesting stuff in the FBI boardrooms, and there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff out in Oklahoma. Uh, so that's that's the whole reason I've got for, for Killers of the Flower Moon, and that is my top five. Yeah, I like that top five. I think we have four of the same five. This is a category I do have Wonka out in, but I'm pretty sure the one I do have in is your next in line. Yeah, let's. I'll go through what's outside my top five, and you guys can criticize me for... I'll tell you why I've got things out, why I think they might be in... Uh, and so I'll start off with Oppenheimer. Nolan's working with a new production designer. Uh, he normally works with Nathan Crowley, but as I just mentioned, he's doing Wonka, not Oppenheimer. His new production designer, Ruth DeJong, she did uh, Us, she did Nope, works a lot with Jordan Peele. She also did the new Twin Peaks series for David Lynch. Now, the production design of Oppenheimer looks solid from the trailers, but it's not selling me as something that's 100% lock-worthy. It's a lot of open deserts, a lot of labs, test facilities... I guess in a way it feels like First Man, which did get a nomination for Nathan Crowley, who is doing Wonka, not this. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced on Oppenheimer, but it could happen. I would just want the film to be a big thing first. And the next one that I've got would be Poor Things. Poor Things I would have higher, but the production designers on Poor Things are not the ones that did the favorite. Uh, they are untested. Uh, I think one of them has basically production designed nothing, and the other has done a couple of smaller productions. Like, I think that the biggest film that I saw on their IMDb page was The Man Who Invented Christmas, the movie about Charles Dickens, which, um, uh, yeah, that's not something that's giving me the most confidence in them. But that said, again, Lanthimos knows what he's doing. Uh, he has picked them for a reason, and... If he keeps some of the favorite vibes with this gothic dark comedy, Robbie Ryan is still shooting it. It's going to look great. It could be really strong. It's a period piece set in Victorian England. We're going to have to see what look that entails, but it could be very strong. After that, Asteroid City looks stunning. It has the same production designer that did West Side Story, The French Dispatch. French Dispatch did get snubbed, but it was probably next in line for the nomination because it was sweeping critics' groups, getting all of the nominations for critics' groups. But that said, Asteroid City does look a lot more sparse in design. There's less going on. It's a tiny town in the desert with only a few buildings. If the movie gets in a few other places, if it gets the Critics' Choice nomination, if it gets the Art Director's Guild, maybe this will come along. But I think it would also need a few other nominations at the Oscars. And I don't know what else Asteroid City would get at the moment. Uh, after that, Bo is Afraid. Every review for this movie is polarizing, but every review, good or bad, mentions how stunning the production design is. We know that people keep saying this movie goes off on the production design. Take that for what you will, but uh, it's possible that there's growing passion for this that allows it to get a nomination, even if the movie is too freaky and anxiety-inducing elsewhere. Think The Lighthouse getting in for cinematography. 
that could be Bo's afraid for production design. I'm not going to bet on it, but we'll have to see how the momentum builds. And if the momentum really is building for Bo is afraid in production design, then it can happen. And the last thing I'm going to mention here is Napoleon. If Napoleon is good, it could get in. It's going to have big war scenes like All Quiet. Uh, it's going to have cool interiors with what they do with Versailles uh, or any other French palaces that they go into. It could look great. It probably will look great. Ridley Scott does a great job. All that matters is, does he fuck up the rest of the movie? Yeah, that's a good point. And Napoleon's something that I have a little bit higher. I don't have it in my top five, but it's in that conversation as well. Asteroid City I'm really not sold on this doing anything, and I think that's one of the reasons why I don't have it in my lineup for costumes, as well as not having it here for production design. If it would sweep, just like a French Dispatch did, does it still mean it misses? Probably, maybe. I don't know, but there's one movie that's not in your top 10. I feel kind of good for no real reason, but we were doing an episode, I would say about three months ago, where we were talking about, oh, Top Gun Maverick came out of nowhere. It was this big movie, big success. And it got all the way to the Oscars. And I was like, you know, there's one movie this year that kind of sounds similar that could pull that. And that is Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny. Yes, Maverick's additional tech with cinematography where it got snubbed. But of Indiana Jones is a best picture player. I feel like production design is a big tech or craft category here that would come along with it. And do I have it in my five at the moment? No, but it is my number six where it is having its con premiere here soon. So could go well, could hear positive stuff, and maybe it gets in over one of those extra Warner Brother movies, whether it is Wonka, whether it is Barbie, or whether it is something completely random. So that was going to move us over to best makeup and hairstyling. You know, sometimes they forget about this, and that's what makes this category so tricky is because you see a lot of movies that have really cool hair, but does that matter at the end of the day? Usually not. However, I'm not really sure what to do with this category at the moment. We don't have a runaway Elvis type movie, which didn't even win last year, or the whale type movie that's like, yes, this, 100%. I don't think we have that this year. Number one, for the moment, is not going to make sense, but kind of makes sense to me. Matt has mentioned a few times, do not having the same performance that the first one had. It's going to underperform, maybe miss some nominations, maybe not win some of the stuff the first one did. Well, the first one didn't win makeup and hairstyling, but... If they are doing new things, introducing new people, more focusing on the villains that have the more of the makeup work, maybe this is a new win for Dune Part 2 that Dune Part 1 did not have. So it is kind of a placeholder for me at the moment. I feel pretty good for a nomination, but for a win, I'm not entirely for sure. What are your thoughts on that kind of out there type prediction? Well, you know what? We didn't get to see a whole lot of Baron Harkonnen in the first one after he got poisoned by Duke Leto, um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that, because the poison that he gets hit with is going to make his skin fester and rot, uh, and we're going to see so much more of Stellan Skarsgård's enormous rotting flesh in this one. I think what I said earlier and what you said right now about what is, uh, is this Dune going to do different than the first one did, you're right, the makeup is going to be different. Hopefully we see more of the Baron. I'm sure we'll see more of the Harkonnens. We're also going to see the Emperor. We're going to get Florence Pugh. We're going to get more Zendaya. We're going to get some Austin Butler. I could be sold on this winning. 
I could totally be sold on it because we are going to see a lot more makeup because Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac in the first one did not get a lot of it. That's not going to be the case for Dune Part 2. So that brings me to number two and three, which are Warner Brothers movies, naturally. Number two, though, is Barbie. You know, let's go Barbie. But this, to me, seems more like the, you know, I keep making this bad mall comparison, but this is another one here. It's top two, top three in a lot of categories. But is it going to win all those categories? No, because at least at the moment, it's not a best picture movie for me. So it's one where maybe it makes more sense on paper than Dune to win this category. But I feel more confident with Barbie winning elsewhere than just having its win in this category. Color Purple's number three. First one got in. This one probably will as well, unless they do something completely wrong or this movie goes off the rails, but feels pretty safe. But number four, I know we'll have a reaction out of you, but I have Maestro, and this is the only nomination okay. I have Maestro in across the whole ceremony. Think House of Gucci, that applies here. Same, same, same. Maestro only gets makeup. It will get makeup. It's It's so makeup. <laughs> that's That's the type of movie it is. I do want to say for Barbie... I would be worried about a makeup and hair nomination because seeing the trailer, there's not a whole lot of makeup, right? That's they true. don't like, they the Oscars don't go for the glamour makeup. This is why when we were talking makeup this year, I was saying blonde won't get in. It's because they don't care for the glamour stuff. They don't care when makeup looks people makes people look good. They want makeup to make people look like shit <laughs> or look different. Um, and... Yes, hair would be the argument for Barbie, because the hair styling looks great, but we know how this category operates. They don't give a shit about hair. They just don't. They really don't. Because every year there's hairstyling that should win, uh, and every year they just go for the obvious makeup. And that's why the only makeup that feels like makeup in Barbie is Kate McKinnon having crayon drawn on her face. Uh, everything else doesn't feel like that to me. Otherwise, though, I'm with you on Color Purple. I'm with you on Maestro. Barbie's probably like my number six or number seven. I think it's going to be stuck there all year long in makeup and hair. But ultimately, the glamour stuff doesn't do it for them. That brings us to number five. Ma Rainey won this award, so why can't Rustin get nominated? Will it win? No. But for a nomination, I could see it. And this is another category where I'm like, I feel solid with a few, but for the rest, I'm not sure. Rustin's right now my placeholder for number five. I have Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon, the two Apple movies at six and seven, making Joaquin Phoenix look like Napoleon, making Killers. All the stuff they're doing there. Then you have Wonka. I don't think it's big enough. Little Mermaid, probably not. And then Priscilla's down there. I don't really believe in this movie for the Oscars, but it does have Elvis makeup. It does have Priscilla makeup and hairstyling. So maybe by the same time, they just nominated the last year and didn't even give it the win. So they're going to nominate again? Probably not. But um, there's one I know I left off my list here that you will mention that in retrospect probably should be above that like bottom three I have. For sure. I I'll make an argument against Rustin being your number five at this point. And I guess that's, um, we can't just go off of like this director just did Ma Rainey. So Rustin's going to have similar makeup. Ma Rainey, like they had Viola Davis suited up in that like she looked unrecognizable in that film with rustin it's a biopic where some coleman domingo is going to be playing a real life activist but i don't think that activist is that recognizable not someone who is going to 
it's not the eyes of Tammy Faye. It's not Bombshell. It's not Vice. It's not one of those films that takes a real-life big celebrity and transforms an actor into them. People don't know Rustin, uh, or, or they don't know what Rustin looks like, I should say. Uh, and so I, I don't necessarily see the argument for it being like, wow, they transformed Coleman Domingo into Rustin. Um, so some things I'd suggest... The first one I'd suggest would be Bob Marley's biopic, which I know you have pretty strongly in uh, Best Actor. I'm not convinced it's coming out, but if it does, that's the type of thing that I think should be your Rustin spot, because the argument there is, oh my god, they took Kingsley Benadire and they transformed him into Bob Marley. Look at the hair. Look at the makeup. They made him Bob Marley. Um... And that's, that's always an argument for one of these films. And the only one you have in your top five right now that feels like that kind of trans, uh, transformative makeup job is Maestro. Uh, and I, again, don't see Leonard Bernstein being the thing that people go, oh my god, they gave Bradley Cooper a nose. That's going to be something people are pissed off about, not amazed by. Uh, next thing I'd recommend would be Poor Things, which has Frankenstein vibes. They operate on Emma Stone's brain. There's going to be scars. There's going to be interesting gothic makeup, perhaps rotting, uh, perhaps monster-esque design to this. Again, it's a retelling of Frankenstein in a way. So that could be a really interesting makeup opportunity for Emma Stone. After that, Bo is Afraid is possible because Joaquin Phoenix plays a bunch of different ages of this character he's aged up he's aged down does he play the child in the movie because it kind of looks like a weird deep faked version and i could see an argument later on in the year where people look back at bo's afraid and they go wow they used digital makeup in a really interesting way where not only were they using prosthetics on joaquin phoenix they also digitally enhanced it with deep fake technology uh, that could be an interesting way to sell this is a makeup nominee. It's the new wave of makeup. And after that, the last thing I'd recommend would be Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We don't know what the makeup's going to look like, but probably pretty good. Yeah, no, th those are all great points. Poor Things was the one I was alluding to before that I probably should move up, but I don't have at the moment. You make a good case about Bob Marley's biopic. That also, to me, seems more like a hair work than a makeup work as well, but you make a good point of... It's an actor play. Makeup usually comes along with it as well, even if it's not the most showy type of thing. But that brings us to our, you know, most fun categories we have, the music type stuff, because who really knows what's going on with music at this moment? Not us, but we're going to predict it anyways. So let's start off with best original score. Uh, and then we'll do song, which is the hardest category at this point to predict because we don't know what songs exist or what movies have songs. But that's for later. For now... Let's talk score. In first place, I have How Do You Live, Hayao Miyazaki's swan song, presumably his final film, with a score written by the legendary Joe Hisaishi. This is a hope addiction. I don't seriously believe that this is actually the most likely to win, but I can see a path for it winning. 
Joe Hisaishi is widely respected. He has never had an Oscar nomination, but he has written almost every film score for Hayao Miyazaki, every single one since Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. His music defines Studio Ghibli as much as Miyazaki does himself. The simple piano melodies, the melodic, tonally pleasing scores, they're some of the most memorable scores of all time for me. I could hum most of Joe Hisaishi's work on Miyazaki films right now off the top of my head. Um, he's someone that I think people will look back at their career and think this is someone who deserves recognition, whether it's one day an honorary Oscar or whether it is a career award this year. Now, the path to a win for Joe Hisaishi and How Do You Live is, for one thing, How Do You Live has to end up possibly being a Best Picture contender. It does not need to be a nominee, but it needs to be top 20. Uh, this needs to be getting a push for Best Picture, it needs to be Japan's pick for International Feature, and every single critic group has to be nominating it. It has to be getting Best Picture buzz. Um, and critic groups have to be giving Joe Hisaishi the prize, which I think is actually very likely because people know him, they know his work, and they're going to want to award him. This is going to need the Golden Globe, the Critics' Choice, and every critic group. Serious momentum is needed, but it is possible. You make you make a, a valid argument there. Just everything you're saying there could apply to not the, like, they've never been nominated, but the career win. It could apply to someone else who's in your top three. But I'll let you talk about number two before we get to that person. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. And I think that's the danger here is that we saw a career win and a swan song win didn't happen this year with the Fablemans. So it doesn't necessarily have to happen. I'm just hoping that we see a sweep because oftentimes in score, we do see a season sweep like Soul, for example. Soul was not a Best Picture nominee, but it managed to get every single score award because it was just that good and people just wanted to award it that much. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's a possibility here for How Do You Live. But in second place, I have Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese's new movie, which has a score by Robbie Robertson. Robbie Robertson is the lead member of the band, the classic rock outfit that gave us hits like The Weight and gave us one of the best concert movies of all time with uh, The Last Waltz, which is directed by Martin Scorsese. They've been friends and collaborators for a very long time. Now, some people... Some people out there have said that they think Scorsese won't use much score in Killers of the Flower Moon because he usually uses pre-existing stuff, to which I say, bullshit. 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 This film is set in the 1920s. Scorsese knows when to use score and when not to, and if you look at any of his fucking period pieces, they use a goddamn score. He got a nomination for Hugo uh, in 2011. He didn't. Howard Shore did. Uh, which, funny enough, I'm going to rep Toronto here. Scorsese really likes working with composers from Toronto. Howard, Score, Howard Shore, now Robbie Robertson. Um, but yes, Robbie Robertson, he did do The Irishman, which did not get nominated, but that did use a lot, a lot, a lot of pre-existing music. This is set before there were recordings. <laughs> 1920s was before there were records. There is going to be a score in this movie. Plus, and this is the biggest thing, Killers of the Flower Moon is a film about indigenous peoples and specifically about missing and murdered indigenous women. 
Robbie Robertson is an indigenous person. He is uh, a, a one of the few. Actually, I, I know that there's a lot of consultants on Killers of the Flower Moon who are indigenous. But as far as I know, Robbie Robertson may be the only key creative on this film who is Native American. Uh, and that is a great narrative to give a nomination for Killers of the Flower Moon for a film about indigenous rights to an indigenous person. In third place, I have Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's John Williams. There it is. It's John Williams. He got nominations for the past three Star Wars movies. He has nominations for three out of four of the Indiana Jones movies. This might be his last score. It's a done deal. He's in. He's coming along with this. Get your shit out of here that Indiana Jones isn't happening. It is in score. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yes. Those those uh, number two, number three are my number two and number one, just to order flips. So uh, I feel very strongly with how you feel as well. Uh, in fourth place, I have Past Lives, which the score is composed by Christopher Bear and Daniel Rawson. I've heard great things about the music. Uh, Christopher Bear and Daniel Rawson formed the indie rock group uh, Grizzly Bear. Grizzly Bear is a neat indie rock band. They got some good stuff. I'm sure they're going to transition well to film scores, and it reminds me a lot of when the guys from Arcade Fire got nominated for her. Uh, and in fifth place, rounding out my top five, I've got Oppenheimer, music by Ludwig Gorenson. Friendship with Hans Zimmer ended. Gorenson is now Christopher Nolan's best friend. We know this music is going to be great. Ludwig Gorenson is one of the most versatile people out there. He can do a score for Community, and he can do a score for Tenet. Yes, he did get snubbed for Tenet, but he could have been nominated if they campaigned at all. And the thing with this is that uh, being a biopic allows for Ludwig Gorenson to go a lot more subtle at times, instead of just being this big wave of sound uh, that he had to do with Tenet. Tenet was an action movie. It needed that. This could be quiet at times, and that's going to be the interesting thing. We know Nolan is going to make this movie loud, but the question is, how is Gorenson going to make this movie quiet? Great point there. I'm really interested to see what Gorenson does because he's one of my favorite composers out there at the moment. As you've mentioned, most of his work is either very loud or very energetic because you can look at the Black Panther score as well. So I'm really excited to see, as you mentioned, just how quiet and how just more mellow the score is. But I'm sure the the bomb sequences will have more of the reminiscence of the over-the-top, energized loudness that we're used to with Ludwig. Uh, now, let's get into what missed out, what's not in my top five. First up, Asteroid City, Alexandra Desplat. Now, Desplat is getting snubbed over and over and over. He got snubbed for The Midnight Sky. He got snubbed for The French Dispatch. He got snubbed for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. The French Dispatch is a great point of reference here. It's an excellent score, but the Academy just looked right over it. Same with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It's possible that this is going to look like it's top three going into Oscar nominations, and it just might get snubbed. Unless the film is crazy strong, which it won't be, this feels like one that everyone's going to think is happening until the last minute when it just doesn't. Uh, it's possible that's Barbie too, because Disblad is also doing that score. So now it's time for everyone to hear, why don't you have Dune? Mm-hmm. Um, Dune is not getting nominated for score. I'm going to say that right now. I'm going to say it again. Dune is not getting nominated for score. It's not 
take it out of your goddamn predictions, and here's why. The Academy does not like doing the same thing multiple times in the score category unless you're John Williams. Black Panther, first movie won. Second one, no score nomination. Sorry, Ludwig. How to Train Your Dragon, first one nommed. No nominations for the follow-up. Avatar, first one nominated. Second one, no nominations. Lord of the Rings was nominated for and won two out of three of the awards. Second one, no nomination. No nomination for Howard Shore for The Two Towers. Uh, And it's because The Two Towers didn't have that much new from the first one, whereas the third one kind of reinvented everything and brought in an entirely different score. Every sequel that has been nominated in this category since 1986 has been John Williams. There has not been a single sequel nominated for Best Original Score since 1986 that has not been John Williams doing Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, or Star Wars. Here's my question for you. If he does reinvent the wheel, it is completely new, like the third Lord of the Rings movie, does he win? Yeah. Uh, Does he win? No. Does he get nominated? I'll consider it. Cool. But does he win? I really don't think so. Um, I, because there's no way, even if he does entirely different themes, there's still going to be that droning um, mix of ambient sound and throat singing and electric guitar that was so iconic to the first film. People are going to hear that, and no matter what it is that's different about it, they're going to go, eh, this is just the first score again. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So... You've hit some of the major contenders. Let's now get through the rest of your top 10 here for original score. Because like we've mentioned, yeah, we haven't really heard much outside of the little trailer music for some of these. Yeah, there's a few. I won't go too deep into any of them, but uh, The Killer, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Never doubt Reznor and Ross that are going to deliver good stuff, but also sometimes doubt them. For every Mank, Soul, and The Social Network, they have a Bones and All. They have a Waves. They have a, a Gone Girl. They don't always get nominated. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of sitting there with you. I feel pretty not good, but like I I get your points with everything here. Like I think I have Indy One, Killers Two, I think I have Oppenheimer Three, Past Lives Four, and then my number five is a mix of Dune or How Do You Live or something that we really don't even know at the moment because there could be just a random score like the All Quiet one from last yeah. year that just kind of comes out from left field or Everything Everywhere, which is a movie that we had saw, but El no one no one really took serious four score. It could be that. It could be El Conde. Who knows? Bring back Johnny Greenwood. Please, Pablo Lorraine. Get him back. Spencer's score. Okay, I know you don't like Spencer, Dylan, but do you like the score? I do. I like Greenwood's yeah. score for Power of the Dog more, but... I think I the Spencer scores it is it's good. I like John Greenwood a lot. All right. Well, let's move on to this last category, best original song, which is a shit show right now. We don't know anything about this. We don't know anything about this. This is a fucking hard category to do because we do not know what songs exist. Uh, the songs that get nominated probably don't even exist yet because a song written for a movie is probably going to be the last thing that happens for most of these films. So in first place, I have Wish. 
Uh, this is Disney's new film. It's celebrating their 100th anniversary. Songs are written by Julia Michaels. Uh, Julia Michaels is a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, a pop icon in the making. She's written songs like Sorry by Justin Bieber. What a Canadian fucking song to have. Uh, Hands to Myself by Selena Gomez. Make Me Feel by Janelle Monae. And of course, uh, If the World Was Ending, which is, God, what a piece of fucking garbage song. <laughs> yes. Um... I hate that song so much, uh, which I will say I'm not a huge fan of her stuff. It's a lot of really forgettable pop songs. And maybe I should trust my gut here and say that Wish is not going to get her an Oscar win or nomination because my gut is saying that her output for Wish is not going to be any better than her output for all of these pop icons and, and huge artists out there right now. But also, this is a Disney musical. It's the Disney musical of the year. This is the Frozen 2, the Encanto, the Moana uh, of this year. Ariana DeBose is singing these songs. It's a Disney musical. And there's no doubt that there's going to be some anthem in the song, some ballad that kids can't stop singing. Something that's going to be the new Let It Go. One interesting thing I think that could happen coming from Wish is it's been a, quite a long time since we had a movie double nominated in this category. And I feel like Wish would probably be our best contender for that since La La Land. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but at the same time, I don't think Wish is getting nominated for animated feature. I think it's going to be a subpar Disney movie. I think it's going to be around the same league as Strange World. That said, it is a musical but I'm getting Frozen 2 vibes on this. I'm not getting Encanto vibes. I'm getting Frozen 2. But in second place, I have Wonka. Songs are written by Neil Hannon. Hannon is probably best known, in the movie business at least, for writing So Long and Thanks for All the Fish from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, he does a lot of British stuff. He does a lot of British TV. He has no Oscar nominations, but he writes fun, lovable show tunes for movies and TV shows. Wonka, we know is going to be lovely, it is a musical, and no doubt one of his songs, which is going to be fun, clever, creative, and just very upbeat, it's going to come along for the ride. Something cute, clever, very British. I trust in Paul King. Now at number third, this is the Diane Warren slot. This is currently occupied by Gonna Be You from 80 for Brady, yeah. uh, but it could be replaced because of two reasons. Uh, the two reasons that this song could be replaced by another Diane Warren song. One, this song is ass. Two, this song that is shit. Stopped them. That hasn't stopped them. It hasn't, but if there's another Diane Warren song that's less ass and shit than this song, then uh, that'll probably replace it. Because uh, it's possible Diane Warren does something else this year that she campaigns more. Reasons for this song, though, not only is it Diane Warren, it has four iconic singers. Dolly Parton, Gloria Estefan, Belinda Carlisle, and Cyndi Lauper, and of course, Diane Warren writing it all. Uh, this depends if she has another song, but goddammit, we gotta investigate Diane Warren. Why is I, she in every year? Investigate Diane Warren. I mean, even if she has another song, I think you just made the case for Eddie for Brady, the four iconic singers, even if Diane Warren has another one, you have like, oh, uh, I love this singer, I love that singer, I love Tom Brady, not made this one. After that, in fourth place, a track from Barbie. There are song and dance numbers in Barbie. They are apparently major moments of the film. They are some of the most Oscar-cheer-worthy moment, uh, moments of the movie. They're going to make audiences laugh, they're going to be catchy, and they're probably going to be extremely memorable. Alexandra Desplat is doing the score. 
I'm not sure if he's doing the songs, but uh, this gives me Everything is Awesome vibes from the Lego movie. And that's why I've got it in at number four. I don't know what songs there's going to be. Maybe they're going to be existing songs, but we know that there are song and dance numbers. And if they're original, they could come along in this category. And in fifth place, a track from The Little Mermaid. Um, we actually just got news of the three original songs that are being written for The Little Mermaid. Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alan Menken are writing the new songs. Uh, Alan Menken was one of the writers of the original. He did the music while Howard Ashman, who is deceased, uh, Howard Ashman wrote the lyrics of them. Alan Menken is coming back to do the music. Lin-Manuel Miranda is here to help with the music and do the lyrics. That is a killer combo. Here are the three songs and my ranking in order of likelihood of nomination. The first one is called Scuttlebutt. Uh, Scuttlebutt is being sung by David Diggs and Aquafina. Reason I have this highest is that it is a Caribbean-inspired rap song. It feels like it's in Lin-Manuel Miranda's wheelhouse. Uh, David Diggs plays Sebastian. He's going to be rapping, as is Aquafina. Aquafina plays Scuttle, a seagull who is also going to be rapping. It's going to have a Caribbean-inspired beat. This feels like the new Under the Sea. This feels like the song that's going to get radio play. Next song is For the First Time may be disqualified because it is based on a theme from the original score of the animated movie. Uh, Alan Menken took a few sentences that were used in a certain moment and he built it into a song for this. Now this is being sung by Halle Bailey and it's all voiceover. And the last, the least likely of the three songs to be nominated is Wild Uncharted Waters, which is sung by Prince Eric. Uh, this feels like Evermore from Beauty and the Beast. It doesn't feel like something that needs to get a nomination. Uh, it feels like a, oh, we just added this song in. Yeah, those are all good points. And as we've mentioned numerous times, this is a category it's almost impossible to predict because we don't know what songs are coming besides the musicals or the ones that are, you know, like Barbie is going to have a song and dance numbers. So as mentioned before, let us know down below, what are your bold predictions so far out? Do you think there's Barbie songs? Do you think Barbie's sweeping? Matt, do you have any final bold predictions that you want to drop down here? Ooh, final bold prediction. I want to see any of you putting Rina Sawayama's song from John Wick in your predictions. It's not happening. It's not it's happening. It's not happening. No, it is not. How cool would that be, though? And today we get to talk about one of the best movies of 2023 so far. That is Ben Affleck's new movie, Air. And he's back in the director's chair after a short break. And to me, he's never missed. Yes, Live By Night may not be loved by many, but it's loved by me. And that does not stop here with Air. Overall, I thought this was a blast. It's very engaging, very fast-paced, and very funny. But Matt, what were some of your first thoughts with Air? I agree mostly with you. I, I like Affleck as a director. Argo is magnificent, in my opinion. I think it's a great Best Picture winner. Not huge on The Town or Gone Baby Gone. I've never seen Live By Night. So I'm kind of indifferent on Affleck as a director. I, in December, read the screenplay of Air. It's floating around out there on the web, on the internet. I wrote off the film. I went, oh, this is like a 6 out of 10 screenplay. But I heard that... Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were rewriting the script, and I think it paid off. The movie is fantastic. Affleck and Damon rewrote it with such wit and humor. I was laughing throughout, which I never did, reading the script. I thought this movie was hilarious. The issue with the script was that it felt so stuck in boardrooms and it got really stale, and I never felt like that was a problem in this movie. It never felt stale to me. It always felt exciting. It always felt energetic. It's a blast. 
It's the ultimate dad movie. It makes me want to get out and get on a court. I don't, I'm, I don't play basketball, but it makes me want to go play basketball. It makes me want to uh, recommend it to my dad. It, wa- it makes me want to run around recommending it to every dad that I see. Hey, are you a dad? Go see Air. Uh, it's as good as everyone's saying. I also love this movie, so I'm glad to hear you say that's my second favorite of the year. But one of the things I love most about Air is its ensemble of all-stars. I mean, the MVP, in my mind, is Matt Damon. He's unanimous, at least, you know, to me. Career high, leading performance. He's authentic, he's versatile, and he gets to showcase his talents as an actor that's not in a cryptocurrency ad that most people have known him for for the last <laughs> few years. Um, to me, Affleck ah! is also continuing his trend of stealing scenes and just various minor roles. Last Duel, best part of that movie. Tinder Bar, maybe, possibly should have been an Oscar-nominated role. I think he's really good here as well. Jason Bateman and Chris Tucker <laughs> both supply some great comedic moments, fill out this Fab Four for Nike, and you can't get Michael Jordan without getting his mom, Vi- Viola Davis, I think is very strong and she delivers a very different type of performance in this role. Like she's not very bold, very loud, very in your face. She's more laid back, more reserved, which I think very much just helps this movie overall. Mm-hmm. I agree with most of what you're saying on, on the performances. I would agree that Matt Damon absolutely killed it. He's just so solid in every scene and something that he does so well is that every monologue is just golden. Uh, I think he's going to be in the Oscar conversation all year long, and if he doesn't get nominated, he's going to be number six. Uh, he's going to be the Tom Cruise of this year, where if if he's not nominated, he's right right behind. But I think he will. We'll get into Oscar chances a little bit later, but I think he will uh, get nominated. Then Viola Davis, as you mentioned, she's also very, very good. Her role doesn't show a ton of range, but she's quiet, compelling, strong, and she's interesting to watch. She's Viola Davis. She's always interesting to watch. I'm not sure if she'd get nominated for this in most years, but there's an argument for her getting nominated after last year's controversy where she got quote-unquote snubbed for The Woman King. Um, I think that there's an argument for her here. Scene stealers for me. I, I wouldn't call Ben Affleck a scene stealer personally, but I would say Jason Bateman when he did his monologue about his kid. That's a scene-stealing moment for me when he's talking about how he buys his daughter Nike shoes every week. That's a scene-stealer. As well, every phone call with Chris Messina playing Michael Jordan's agent, oh my god, what a riot. That was so funny. Like, the, the phone call where he's just screaming at him, like, how dare you? I'm going to chew on your nuts. I'm going to smash your nuts, and I'm going to chew on your ball sack. Like, that's... It's incredible. Uh, what a, a good good scene. But yeah, I felt in, indifferent to Affleck as an actor here. I didn't think he was bad. I didn't think he really was great either. Um, he was just kind of there. I was like, yeah, you're good. Chris Tucker was fun. Yeah. This is a I- SAG Ensemble movie. It's my personal SAG winner of the year so far, and Matt Damon's very up there as well. We'll talk Oscars here in a little bit, but yes, Chris Mencia was great in that little spark plug off the bench type role, and I really like Marlon Wayans in this too. He's in like one scene, but you get to see him do drama, which I don't know the last time I saw Marlon Wayans do drama good. 
uh but he was good in this movie but um talking about affleck i think we can at least agree that his direction on this movie was very well i love yeah. the style that he kind of just dropped us into 1984 whether that was the music the props the costumes the hair and even some of like the camera techniques it just felt like hey this is a blast from the past it's not like i'm watching a 2023 movie about the past and i just really love that about his direction in air i i agree i I think Ben Affleck always shines when he's a director just at, at doing what he needs to. He's not a flashy auteur who's going to be showering you with style. You don't watch a Ben Affleck movie and see a Ben Affleck movie. You watch a Ben Affleck movie and see a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there's no flashiness. There's no uh, flourishes. It just does what it needs to. And I got to say, I, I was surprised at how stylish the cinematography was. I really loved the uh, the shifts in focus between two characters, specifically in the scene where uh, Matt Damon is talking to Marlon Wayans at the bar, and it shifts between the two of them with, with the focus. That was so well done. The use of long lenses is also really interesting, the way that it will barely move on someone's face and the background will be blurring behind them so cool as, as the background shifts and they barely shift at all uh i don't like 80s music there's a bit too much 80s music in this i think 80s music is boring as shit i talked about that when we talked about top gun uh i think 80s music is so boring the soundtrack is pretty stacked here and there's some great choices but for every great choice there's another choice that makes me go oh yeah this is why i hate the 80s but the editing well, was fun it, I was going to say, I, I agree with you with 80s music not being my cup of tea, but like you said, some of those needle drops are just like what exactly you need in that moment. Time after time? You kidding me? That's great. What a good choice for that moment. That was so good. Um, but yeah, I thought the editing was fun, kept the pace up. I do think it dragged a little bit in the middle uh, when he's kind of trying to sign Michael Jordan and it kind of goes in circles a little bit and we're waiting and waiting and waiting for the thing to happen. It does drag a little bit, but it's still, the editing is good. It's brisk. It keeps the pace up. What were some of the tech aspects uh, otherwise that you really loved about Air? So the biggest one would probably just have to be the the editing. I've seen some people online say they don't like how the film's edited. I, like you said, I feel like this movie blows by. Like it starts and you're at the end and it feels like it's an hour, even though it's been an hour 40. Um and I really like the the, uh, the music supervision, as I mentioned before. While I'm not a huge fan of mm-hmm. 80s music, I thought most of those needle drops were exactly what you need in the moment to add energy, to add sadness, to add whatever you're supposed to be feeling in that moment. And this isn't a tech aspect, but I just have to say again how much I just love the ensemble here. In a yeah. just world, without knowing what's coming for the next six months, this is a SAG Ensemble nominee. Well, but... Let's just, let's talk, let's get into Oscar chances. We are uh, an Oscar channel. We predict the Oscars. What do we think these chances are? Floor, original screenplay nomination. Ceiling, screenplay, Damon, picture. I personally don't see the angle for Viola Davis, but I guess in a realistic world, she has a shot to get nominated and the editing as well so that's a max of five nominees a floor of one i'd be very shocked if this does miss screenplay especially after our episode a few weeks ago where we talked about the screenplay categories and i said original looks a little weak to me and here's a new contender for that original screenplay slot it's true original does look a little bit weak and this is totally getting in the question i always ask with these early contenders because i've seen 
a lot of people saying, oh, well, is, is this movie going to be remembered at the end of next year? I saw it last year with Elvis. I mean, I think we said it with Elvis, like, oh, are we going to be remembering this at the end of the year? And the question that you got to ask yourself is, would this have been nominated last year? I think so. I think that this would have been in Best Picture last year. I think that this would have been nominated in 2021. Probably would have taken, like, King Richard's slot. I think it would have been nominated in 2020. And I think it would have been nominated in 2019. So if it is a strong enough film to have potentially made the lineup in all of those other years, why would it not be a strong enough film to make it in this year? Yes, we don't know the other contenders, but do we really believe that this year is going to have a much stronger lineup than any of these past years when air probably would have made it in see i don't know if i necessarily agree it would be in all those lineups i think more so of looking at the best picture lineup you look at what amazon has here to campaign for the rest of the year and i've seen people say oh they have salt burn but you and i both mentioned first time directing nominees or first time directors getting nominations next movie aren't always hits the academy and so that could suffer and i feel like this is probably amazon's best bet for the oscars yes it's coming out way too early but it's one that people are seeing now with no other oscar contenders out they can latch onto it and at the end of the year you resend out the screeners you resend out the campaign tour and then you're back like you never left and like to me like looking at last year if i'm looking at for the nominations does he in the picture what does it take out triangle i guess original screenplay i guess you yeah. also take triangle slot actor damon could be our fifth and there you go that's that package could be in the picture uh, the covid year definitely in i don't know if this would take king richard's spot just because will smith were so strong but yeah, maybe it's it could the take same out type of movie yeah it, definitely. it could take out something else but it's it's the same type of movie i i don't know i think you also have to look at like who would the voters be and i think that if this was released last year it would be a lot of the voters that went for elvis or top gun would vote for something like Air. And when you think about this year, what else are that type of voter, the people that voted Elvis last year, the people that voted Top Gun last year, what are they going to vote for? And Air feels really strong for that. Um, it feels like it has a profile that works for this. And I don't know, I, I always think the argument of, oh, are people going to remember it at the end of the year? I've made this argument in the past. I think that the Oscar season is dead now. I, I think that Amazon has noticed what A24 did successfully last year, which is you release a movie early, you let it build up hype, you release it on streaming when it's built up that hype, and then because it's out there in the world and people can watch it at any time, it never leaves the conversation. Mm -hmm. Gone are the days where something leaves the theaters and it leaves the conversation. You can keep that momentum going, and I think that's what Amazon's trying to do. They're releasing it when there are no other Oscar contenders, so that this one stands out and it's going to be pushed the entire year long. You're going to see this on your Amazon homepage all year. Yeah, and I think you make a great point there about how they release it in theaters first. Because I've seen people to detract air say, oh, Amazon did this last year, 13 Lies. 13 Lies didn't hit theaters first. It was straight to Amazon Prime. This is at yeah. least getting a month or so in theaters to get the buzz. And the box office seems like it's doing pretty well. Will it be a financial success? Who knows, but it's making money. People are seeing it. And then it's going to go yeah. to Amazon Prime in like a month or two, and then more people will see it. And then that will continue throughout the rest of the year. And then come when the NBA season starts back up in Oscar season of October, November, when the yes. Oscar movies are released, this gets an extra buzz. And then we're right back. And with having, I think screenplay is probably the most important nomination you have for picture. Mm -hmm. And this seems pretty good for at least a screenplay nomination. 
I will say, though, I think that the biggest detriment and argument against this movie is what's the package for it, mm-hmm. right? Is it really going to last the entire year with such a small package? Because uh, the max that I can see for this, the this is the absolute ceiling, and I don't think it's going to get all of these, but the ceiling is picture, actor, screenplay, supporting actress, editing. That's five nominations tops, max. The floor, like you said, is just a screenplay nomination. I think it's going to be three or four. But still, is it really going to last the entire year with just that package? If I were to make a bold claim now, I would say this gets three. I would say it's original screenplay. I would say it's Matt Damon. I would say it's picture. It's this year's Triangle of Sadness or Women Talking in terms of nominations. It's a little light on the nominations, but it's enough to get into that 10th slot where mm-hmm. obviously Women Talking won adapted, but... Triangle Sadness was definitely fifth in original and director. And Air could be that. It could be number five in actor. It could be number five in original screenplay. But that's two major nominees, plus it being a movie certainly directed into a different audience than the rest of our movies are this year. Kind of like Triangle was for the international audience. This is for more of the Top Gun voters, the Elvis voters, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned. People who are maybe a little bit older, but do like those feel-good, lighthearted type yeah. easy to watch movies and at least going through our best picture lives that we've had color purple is a musical but it's a darker musical killers of flower moon is a very dark movie dune's a big blockbuster but it's also a dark movie made december fits us as well and like from i think yeah. our consensus top 10 the only one that also felt like a feel-good movie would be the holdover so there's always more than just one feel-good movie and this would make two yeah, there there has to be something that people can cheer for. They're not just going to go for the critic stuff that that people like. But critics to think do love to. this movie as well. Critics do love this movie, but they're not just going to go for the cold critic movies. Uh, you can't have an entire lineup filled with Tar. You need to also have Top Gun. You need to also have Elvis. Uh, you need the balance between the feel good and the intellectual, uh, and this is the feel good. I really think we have an Oscar contender on our hands here, and if it's not in your top 10, it should be in your top 15. Uh, I will not move this lower than number 12 all season long. Uh, That's my floor for this, because at the end of the year, if I think about it, there's no way this is not in... Like, if this doesn't get a nomination, there's no way it's not next in line. Think about the path. Is this getting nominated at the Globes? Yes, it's getting nominated at the Globes. Is this getting nominated at the Critics' Choice? Yes, it's getting nominated at the Critics' Choice. Is this making PGA? Yes. So why will it not make the Oscars? I think that's a great point to end on right here. It has that easy path. It's just, does it finish at the end? And I feel like just like the executives in this movie, they're going to pull out that deal and they're going to get that nomination. Exactly. And even better note to end this on, it's not winning shit. (laughs) Yes. Probably not. Uh, Yeah, I I don't see an angle because original screenplay, unless this is a Best Picture frontrunner, no. Damon is great, but it's not winning great and we both said viola davis is good but it's not like a career turn exactly you know it's it's one that i think has a strong contender for three to four nominations and zero wins sad times but there always has to be a best picture nominee that gets no wins or five of them (laughs) it's everyone's favorite time of the week it's draft time, and as Matt has mentioned, we are talking sports today. We've talked air, and now it's time to draft our favorite and our best sports movies of all time. Before we set the stage for today's game, Matt, tell us about what movies do count as a sports movies and what movies do not. So the rules for the sports movie draft, basically sports have to be a central part of the plot of the movie. 
Uh, it can't just be a movie in which sports are on the sideline, like Uncut Gems, where the movie is about a diamond salesman, uh, but it also happens to include some basketball. It can't be about that. Uh, it can't be The Big Lebowski, where the characters happen to go bowling. The main character of the movie has to be an athlete, a coach, an agent, or someone just sports-adjacent. Maybe someone who makes shoes for basketball players. Uh, so that is the criteria of a sports movie. Sports has to be the central theme of the plot uh, or the central theme of the character. And with all that being said, it is time for our draft this week. And I am happy to say I had a very big blowout victory last week with our drafting Q1 movies of the year. And I didn't even have, oh, you know what I did? I did have a sports team or a sports movie on my team being Creed 3. Will that be drafted today? Probably not. But you know what movie I am taking first overall? I'm staying in tune with boxing because give me Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull. Oh, fuck you. Oh, fuck you. I thought you weren't going to pick it. Well, oh, I love Raging it. Bull. I love the cinematography. I think this is De Niro's best performance in his career. I think it's one of Scorsese's most important directions of his career. While I may prefer some other movies in his career, I think this is one that really just encapsulates what he does best. And you know what? I would not have taken Raging Bull. Uh, both the movies that you previously mentioned were eligible. Those are my number one and my number two. But Raging Bull, I guess, is my number one when you count actual sports movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, God damn it, Dylan. Okay, I'll take... An, give me another boxing movie. I'll go with the next boxing movie. Uh, the other one, if Raging Bull is the serious boxing movie, give me the uplifting one. I'm taking Rocky. Uh, this one's iconic. I actually personally prefer it to Raging Bull because I find that the uh, the scenes between Jake and his brother sometimes drag on a little bit in Raging Bull, whereas Rocky is just nonstop uplifting, nonstop great uh, character work. There's so much good going on here. It's so inspiring this is the classic inspiring sports movie uh we're probably gonna have a lot of boxing movies in this there's a lot of good boxing movies there are but yeah sylvester stallone sylvester stallone sold his dog to make this movie and then bought his dog back it is not just an uplifting story in the sense of the film it's an uplifting story in the sense of how sly stallone got this made and became a movie star because without this movie without him struggling to make this there's there's no most of the action movies that we we see nowadays uh, and we've seen through the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, this this film really defined the independent film movement, I would even say. Uh, and I think that this is an early example of an underdog Best Picture winner, which we saw again last year with Everything Ever All at Once. You could say that this is the Everything Ever All at Once of the 70s. Fair enough. What's your number two? All right. Next up, give me Moneyball. Uh, I'm going to take Moneyball. This one, I think, is... Uh, f for me, baseball is my favorite sport. Uh, but the thing that I appreciate about Moneyball is that it is a movie that you do not need to give a shit about baseball at all to like. Uh, it is a film not just about stats, but about character and about triumph and about doing things and thinking differently. Aaron Sorkin and Steve Zalian's script are fantastic on this film. Um... What else can I say? This is just a great movie. It's infinitely rewatchable. I've got it up here on my shelf. Uh, so yeah, Moneyball. Give it to me. I mean, there was that one-two punch of the two boxing movies. I mean, most people... I mean, I think it's a 50-50, which one you take first. But then 
you hit that home run with Moneyball, and that was what I was looking at here. However, there's other baseball movies I would feel comfortable taking throughout the rest of this draft. But there's one sports genre that I think sucks overall, and there's not many good football movies. But there's one that I think is pretty universally acclaimed, including one I very much enjoy, starring Denzel Washington called Remember the Titans. Is it the best movie in the world? No, but it's a very fun movie. It's a very lighthearted movie. You can watch this with anyone, and everyone's going to come out feeling a little bit better about themselves and feeling a little bit happy. Have you seen Remember the Titans? I have. I'm I'm on the fence about it. I, I think it's it's good. It's like you say, it's it's a Disney sports movie. You know, it's, it's lighthearted. It's fun. It's inspirational. Um, yeah. So, I, I don't really know where to go with next year, because there's more boxing movies, but I don't want to just have a team full of boxing movies. There's other baseball movies, but I don't see you doubling up baseball so soon. And then that leads me to some other sports. I mean, there's basketball, there's Olympic sports, but I think I gotta go with racing. And the first racing movie I'm gonna go with is a recent Best Picture nominee. It's an Oscar winner. It is Ford v. Ferrari. I felt like you were gonna do that. Why are you picking Ford v. Ferrari? I think this is just another very fun movie, kind of similar to Air, as we talked about earlier in the show. It's it's just a movie that you put on, you're engaged for about two hours, and it just blows by great acting performances, great editing, great technical aspects. And overall, I feel like you learn some stuff too, which I don't feel like you do in most sports movies. You kind of just come in, you see the sport, and you get a, just a, a very generic story. But I feel like Ford B. Ferrari just adds some more artistic flair to that story. Ford Ferrari is excellent. James Mangold did such a good job. And the sequence where they're racing at the end, I think is fantastic. Also, such good chemistry between Christian Bale and Matt Damon in that movie. Christian yes. Bale should have been nominated. If he had campaigned supporting, I think he would have been. I mean, I think any other year, just 2019 was so stacked, he would be uh, an Oscar nominee for Ford v. Ferrari. He was so good in that movie. All right. Uh, so next up, I I'm back here. And you keep saying you're not going to take another boxing movie, but I am. Because uh, give me the best picture winner, Million Dollar Baby. Reason right. I'm taking Million Dollar Baby? Reason I'm taking Million Dollar Baby? This one is one of the most emotional movies I've ever seen. It uh, broke my heart in a million pieces. You know, Hilary Swank delivers an incredible performance, as does Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman. This is a killer ensemble. It's a great sports movie of uh, triumph and loss. It's an underdog story for the ages. It's one that I think is going to be remembered forever, not just because it's a Best Picture winner, but because it's truly a special, special film. Next up, I gotta go into documentaries, and I'm gonna pick... Oh, let me just grab that. Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams, next pick right here. Uh, this is potentially the best sports movie in any genre, uh, in any medium. Comedy, drama, documentary, Hoop Dreams is the ultimate sports movie. It is the best movie about basketball ever made, for sure. I think it's inspired a wave of documentaries that think differently about how to tell a story and how to edit it. Uh, this actually changed the entire documentary branch of the Academy because the film was so good and it still didn't get a nomination, even though it got nominated for Best Editing. You haven't seen this movie, right, Dylan? I still have, and I really want to, but just I oh my God. haven't watched it for some reason, but it's still near the top of my list. One day I will remember and I will watch it. Watch it tonight. Do it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> So that brings it back to me, and I'm not really sure what to do here because there's some movies I really love left, but 
I don't know how beloved they are because I already have a racing movie, but I would love to have Talladega Knights on my team, but probably would not really be the best for Team Dill here. Like I said, I don't want to add another boxing movie. Creed's out there. Sal Paul's out there. Two, I think, very great boxing movies overall. Really good character work in there, but they're not Raging Bull. So that leaves me with a basketball movie. You just took Hope Dreams, and let me take the one that we've been talking all day about. Give me air. Uh, go watch our review. That should be posted either today or tomorrow, depending on when this one comes out. We both loved air, and I'm sure if you've seen it, you did as well. That leaves me with my last pick. And... Like I said, I'm not going racing, I'm not going boxing, I'm not going basketball. I think I am going to skip baseball here. Shout out to Bull Durham. I think it's a very funny movie, but there's a more funny movie left here that I'm going to go with. And there's two golf options, and I really want to go with one. But I'm going to pass up on tennis as well. No King Richard. But, and I'm going to go with ice skating. Give me I, Tanya. Round out the team. Oh, god a, damn it. I thought... I thought you were going to leave that for me. Go a little bit of a different final pick here. We've had a lot of male-dominated movies. I know that you had Million Dollar Baby, but I want a great turn for Margot Robbie. This should be an Oscar nomination for her for lead actress. This movie's very good. Craig Gillespie is great, and I can't wait to see what he does in his next film. If you haven't seen Aitani yet, go watch it. That's a great pick. I was really hoping... I was just picturing how this was going to look on like the, the YouTube community poll... And I was like, ooh, it's going to look really nice if I have Itania on that that list. It's going to look but really I nice. It. I got it. Spot you got it. Five. You got it a instead. steal, in my opinion. Yeah, that is absolutely a steal for Itania. Um, okay, so I'm on to my last pick. And I have a few choices here. I could go with an independent film that no one's seen, but I want to give a shout out to, which is The Novice, uh, which is a great film about rowing, but I'm not going to go with that one. Uh, I could go with a comedy. I could go with uh, my favorite film about hockey, Goon, which is great. Have you seen Goon, Dylan? I have not. Oh my god, you gotta watch Goon. It's so good. It's quintessential Canadian cinema. I'm not going with that one, though. I could go with a classic movie and go with The Hustler, which is about billiards. It's about pool. Uh, That's a classic, but I don't think I'm gonna go with that one. And that leaves me with two options. And I prefer one of them... But I feel like the correct option here is to pick Jerry Maguire. Oh my gosh. I completely forgot about Jerry Maguire. Great pick there. Jerry Maguire. I I think this one is teetering on the edge right there because it's not a movie directly about sports, but it's a movie about a sports agent, and the entire thing is centered around him trying to rebuild his roster, bring his clients around. He's trying to uh, make sure that he has a really strong group of athletes around. So I do think the movie centers around sports enough for it to be eligible here. It's so good. It's uh, it's such a, a sweet romantic comedy. Tom Cruise gives a great turn. It is... Uh, sweet and charming and funny and just a lovely movie overall cameron crowe really knocked it out of the park with that one so there we go that's my team my team is rocky moneyball million dollar baby hoop dreams and jerry Maguire. see if jerry Maguire counts so does air and i probably would have taken jerry Maguire over air but for some reason it wasn't on my list right there but my team is raging bull remember the titans ford v ferrari air and I, Tanya. I guess I, I before we wrap up here, what was that other movie like? I probably like like oh, this yeah. one more, but I'm gonna go with Jerry uh, Maguire. It was the wrestler. 
Okay, good one. That was also yeah, on my Darren Aronofsky list here. But yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would say if like we had an extra pick, King Richard would be the next one up for me. Talladega Knights, Caddyshack would be probably like right. the next three in line. Just I just felt like I Tanya spoke a little bit more than those three did. When you were saying golf, I was like, oh, he's gonna pick Caddyshack, and I get I Tanya. <laughs> and... See, if I Tanya wasn't as funny as it was, maybe I would have. I want at least like one good funny movie. I mean, Air is funny too, but you know, on that next level. Yeah, yeah. Th- uh, there's there's some great films in here. There's a lot of good sports movies, and um, I guess one I know I, I want to give a shout out for you because I know you would have picked OJ Made in America. I would have uh, yes if it was more about sports because you're a huge fan of that one. I am. I I think probably to the, the level that you speak of Hoop Dreams is probably equivalent to my level for OJ, and I'm probably will feel the same with you with Hoop Dreams once I do see it. I can't wait for you to see it. You got to watch it tonight. Let me know what you think about it, man. Will do. But before I watch that, everyone here, go to the YouTube community tab. Vote for which team you think is better because, again, I think it's another close race. I know people out there didn't believe that last week, but I'm sure this week will be a little <laughs> bit more uh, a little bit more tight out there on the polls. Yeah, I think I, I, I have a good feeling about my team. I think Raging Bull is, is going to be a hard one to beat, but I feel like my team is really consistent. So I'm, I have a good feeling about this. So everyone out there, go vote, make your voice heard, and come back here next week for our next draft. Today, we get to talk about Matt and I's favorite movie of the year. And it took me a little bit to see this because I live in stinky old America and we got the movie a little bit later than Matt did. But Matt, take us away. What movie are we talking about today? We're talking about Rye Lane, baby. Rye Lane, best movie of the year. This dropped on March 31st on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. I actually I only got to see it early because I, I got sent a screener of this movie, so I was very lucky for that. Um, but this is one that I've been hyping up ever since January. I've been talking about this movie for months now, saying that it's one of the best debuts I've ever seen. Uh, Rain Allen Miller directed this film. She is a British filmmaker, has been doing commercials for years now, but this is her debut film. And it follows two characters, two lonely young people in London, both of whom have gone through difficult breakups recently, and they just wander through the city and talk. And this is one of the most assured and confident and shockingly great directorial debuts that I've seen in a very long time. I've been describing it like Before Sunrise for the TikTok generation, and I mean that in a positive way, not derogatory at all. So Dylan, I've talked this up for so long. What are your immediate thoughts on this? Yeah, I would have to agree. This would be, if we could go back and do our draft from last week, this would be my first overall pick over John Wick. I love this movie. I think it's great. You mentioned a lot of the reasons why I believe it is so good. But I guess the thing that I most thought of when I saw this movie is like, hey, this movie's so me. And don't you love when there's a movie that you're just like, yeah, I could see that being me. And we're going to go on and on over the course of this review, showering this with love and specific stuff. So I'm going to hand it back over to you. What is like one thing with this movie, if you could only talk about one that you just want to highlight the most? The script. The script. Oh my God. The core of this movie. Uh, it's where it shines. This is a witty, hilarious script that takes a simple concept, like two people walking through the city and chatting. And it makes it so funny, so effective. 
I'm a sucker for a great theme, and the thing that this movie did best for me is that it delivered on a concise, really strong theme through the film. Be someone who waves at boats. I always strive to be someone who waves at boats, and thank you, Rain Allen Miller, for, like, hitting me with, with that. <laughs> that theme. You know, there are two types of people in this world. The people that, that stand and wave at boats, and the people that won't even look. Uh, oh my god! I love this movie, and it's so in love with life. Uh, I just think Rylane is spectacular. Was there anything about the script that stood out to you? I mean, for me, it's definitely the theme. Yeah, I yeah give a shout to Nathan Byron and Tom Malia, the screenwriters for this movie. Great job here. Um, I just loved how witty and sporadic this was. Like, there's times where you're just in a situation, and then you're seamlessly get yourself into like a 180 but it feels normal and i love the comedy here i love the drama the romance it all just comes together i think one thing i really appreciate about the script and the directing would be the way they use to tell flashbacks it's like on a stage yeah. and it's like the actors acting it out and it's it was just so inspiring and so different and so original and i know we're not in the oscar segment yet but i hope that hulu and disney and searchlight whoever is in charge here uh puts this in the theaters for a week at some point this year so it could be eligible for a screenplay powers from someone i i hope so oh my god man you mentioned that you found this really relatable you could see yourself in this so let's talk about the characters the two characters at the heart of this movie they are so relatable they have such heart and I think the most important thing about a movie like this, where you're essentially just hanging out with the characters for two full hours, is that you want a movie where you just like the people in it. And I really liked the people in this. Uh, I do think it falls a little bit into the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope at times, but in a way, both of these characters falls into the other character's Manic Pixie Dream, right? They're both everything that the other character kind of needs, and a, a manifestation of that. But even though both of the characters are kind of manic pixie dream girls, they're both relatable and grounded. So how did you feel about the characters and which one did you really relate to? I mean, I've been in Dom's shoes from... You can pick any moment in this movie. I've probably been there before, so I feel that. I, I really like Catch the... Dylan crying in the bathroom of a nightclub. Yes, and having a conversation underneath the stalls. I, I really yeah. like uh, Johnson's and Oprah's performance here. They were both very great in the lead roles. Um, but giving a shout, and this isn't someone I relate to, just someone who I thought was utterly hilarious would be Benjamin, I'm going to butcher his last <laughs> name, uh, Sarprong Barani. He played Eric. He played uh, the new boyfriend. And I just loved every gag involving him, whether it was one involving bottles or one with him eating or whatever just everything involving him was great but yes the characters here even the people you're not supposed to like you still love them and they're still hilarious it could be the family it could be either the exes or either the exes new partners or just someone random that you pass by doing yoga just they're just all hilarious and quirky in their own special way yeah a certain person who shows up at a, a food stand very briefly oh yes that, that was great too i didn't even realize That's the first so time i watched it and then i saw it online i was like oh I, I, i'm gonna go rewatch the scene to see if i actually like grasp it yeah i watched it and i went oh my god is that <laughs> is and it makes sense because the whole time they're referencing notting hill mm -hmm. right like the, the movie is meant to be a reference to 
uh, these Richard Curtis rom-coms. Love Actually, Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral. There was a, a great spree and, and span of time where British rom-coms were in. Everyone wanted British rom-coms. And I love how this references that and brings in one of the icons of British rom-coms. Uh, but what really sets this apart from other films of this genre is the style. Rain Allen Miller is a commercial director and she brings in the energy of a commercial director. Everything is sensational here. The production design is so colorful, vibrant, bombastic. Uh, the cinematography is so bright and, and luscious. Costume design is fantastic. Everyone is wearing amazing clothes. And it just, the, the way that everything blends together, cinematography, production design, costumes, incredible. The music, we've got new songs from Sampha here. In uh, an ideal world, these would be cracking into the Oscar conversation for best original song. Oh my god, everything is amazing. And I can't wait to see more films from Rain Allen Miller. I think she's the most exciting voice that we have in, in young cinema right now. Uh, anyways, I talked so much there. Was there any element or any moment that stood out to you in particular? I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. Everything in this movie is so original and so vibrant. Like, last year, if we would have had this show early on in the year, I would have poured my love for Batman in March, and now I'm doing that here with Rylane in April. It, this is a movie that's going to stay in my top five, maybe even top one, all year long. Uh, mm -hmm. To harp on some things that you specifically said there, the costumes to me is a real standout because it's contemporary, and no one really loves contemporary costumes out there like in the awards circuit or even in reviews no one's like oh yeah i love this jacket i could go buy at h&m or these yeah. pants i could get at the thrift store but i loved all the costumes whether it was our mains or random people you pass by they're all so bright they're all so original and they're all so different it's like you wouldn't see two people wear the same outfit because their outfit is them and I love Sampha, so I'm always down for new Sampha music. I don't think we've gotten an album since my senior year of high school, so it's nice to hear at least a new song. Hopefully that means more coming soon. And yeah, mm -hmm. the cinematography here is great. I love the wide-angle lenses. I've said that here on the show before. The tracking shots and wide-angle lenses are my bread and butter, so I can lose <laughs> the tracking and keep the, the wide-angle. Works for me. Production design's great. Mm -hmm. And the screenplay is really good to bring that back here as well. That adds to the style and to the genre here. I love how it puts together comedy, romance, and other stuff. And it all comes together in a very, as I said again, original and great way. Something that I really love about this movie is that it just feels like a love letter to the city. You can tell that this crew lives in London, they love London, they want to show the side of London that they think is vibrant and full of life and just lovely. It made me want to go and visit London again and look at it through a new lens and go and wave at some fucking boats. I just want to get out there and wave at some fucking boats. That's all I want to do now. But honestly, the whole movie is just so in love with life. It's so cheerful and nice. And I'm noticing a trend lately that my favorite movies that come out are the ones that are relentlessly optimistic and give messages of hope and happiness. And following this and everything ever all at once, do you also see a trend? Because I'm starting to see it. Do you see a trend of like nice core movies 
really making waves because I really think that's happening right now. Well, I like your pun there, making waves. But yes, making waves. Um, I, I have seen that trend because I mean, honestly, it probably started with Coda and coming out of the pandemic, yeah. needing more happy movies, and then everything everywhere. This and there's been some other just very fun maverick uh jolly movies that we've gotten over the course of the last year air as well and yeah i I think i mean these movies have always existed it's just now we kind of need them a little bit more and they're making bigger bigger waves but yeah i um i've never been to london i've never been to the uk but this makes me want to go even more and i've always even said like if i were to go to the uk i'd rather go to brixton over london because that seems more vibrant and more energetic and this movie just further exuberifies that yeah. Well, let's let's go. Let's film ball trip. Let's go to London. Let's go to England. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk Oscar chances for this movie. We are an Oscar channel. Um, unfortunately, it's very likely that this movie will be uh, not qualified for the Oscars mm-hmm. because it released on Disney Plus and Hulu the same day that it would have gotten a theatrical release. I'm not sure if it did get a theatrical release anywhere outside of the UK. Not to my knowledge. I, I I mean, obviously, I don't live in a huge market. I live in the capital of my state. But we have a theater here that normally gets all the streamer movies. Like, two weeks before mm-hmm. they hit their streamers. Like, I've always been able to see a Netflix movie in theaters if I wanted to. I was able to see Coda in a theater. I was able to see uh, Sound of Metal in a theater and so on and so forth. But this did not come to that theater. So, to me, that's normally my, like, judge of, like, hey, is this eligible or is this a straight-to-video? That's why when we had yeah. our conversation about Extraction last week – that did not come to a theater, but that was also during COVID, so that makes sense. But um, overall, yeah, sadly, it's probably not eligible for an Oscars, but, but, but it would be for eligible BAFTA. Eligible for BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. So I, I think BAFTA is, is possible. Safe. It's going to be nominated for uh, Best British Film, Best Debut by a British Writer-Director. I think we could see a few other nominations, maybe production design, costume design there. Outside of that, I think we're going to see a lot of critics groups giving this uh, a nomination for Best Directorial Debut. Yeah, I agree. And then look at the BAFTAs more specifically. I could see a jury say for one of the acting uh, performances or maybe yeah. a screenplay. I think I think they could all make the top 10 on that BAFTA long list. Just, I guess, we haven't seen what the new jury looks like outside yeah. of last year. So maybe not into it like as crazy as that um, After Love year was. But... Still, probably good. Some good representation. I would love a DGA yeah. first time director, but I think this movie's probably a little too small for that. It could get in. You never know. I mean, last year they had a weird lineup at the DGAs. So, That's true. Uh, this would make sense for that, and I think it's going to get a ton of critics' love for directorial debut. But overall, I guess the thing that makes me nervous about this getting any awards love whatsoever is in a just world, it would be in the conversation for so many awards. Because it's so wonderful and so good, but it's also very young, right? This is a movie made for people our age, made by people just slightly older than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs broad support and hype, and it needs industry people talking about it right now, which I don't think people are, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, it doesn't have that broad support. So I don't know. I, I wish this is something that I could put in my screenplay predictions, but I, I just can't. Um, yeah i even, think it's gonna remain one of my favorites though even if it was eligible like you said i think it would struggle i think it would be a screenplay or a bus type movie and it's gonna be one of those yeah. where it's probably always in the 10 but it never gets above seven sort of thing i yeah i i would agree with that it's uh it, it's 
if this were about older people, I feel like it would have a stronger chance. But because it's it's about the youth, it's uh, hey, it's not going to do as well with some Academy members. If this was eligible, that cameo could be the Jamie Lee Curtis for this movie and get the old people to watch it. <laughs> it's true. You need you need to get a certain British actor out there talking about everything. But yeah, I really, really hope my my ceiling for this is I hope that Ray Allen Miller gets long listed for best director at the BAFTAs. That would be great. But for everyone out there, if you haven't seen Rylane yet, Drop what you're doing. Go watch that. Hulu, Disney Plus, wherever you're at, go find it. It's like 90 minutes. It's not that long. It breezes by. It's so fast. I might go watch it again right now. It's bracket time. 2023 Fantasy Film Ball Oscar Madness continues into the month of April. We are down to our Elite Eight. The Sweet 16 has concluded. Shout out to everyone who dropped their votes down because we had one, one very tight race. It came down to one Mm -hmm. single voter. So, for everyone out there that's watching this that voted last week, you either made or break these two movies. The chance is here, and that was Top Gun Maverick Babylon. 50.9%, 49.1%. And Matt, which movie came up victorious Ooh. in this 4v20 matchup? Well, our closest matchup here was Top Gun Maverick versus Babylon. And by one vote, Babylon came out supreme. It's crazy. High, I, this, I, this is the one that I think I got wrong this round. I think I got everything else right in my predictions, but I had Top Gun going through. I, I feel like there's a lot of people like that. I don't know. Babylon is one, like I mentioned before, people love it, people hate it, and it's really hard to predict how it will perform. And it, I think if it would have gone up against something like Fablemans, it probably would have lost, but because there's enough people out there that just don't like Maverick, they went babylon sort of thing fair enough and i mean babylon hive is pretty they're rabid those are rabid fans for babylon they'll ride or die for babylon we had a one versus 16 matchup a lot of people is probably number one and number two favorite movies in this entire bracket everything ever all at once after sun but as expected everything ever all at once gets about 70 percent of the vote to move on to our elite eight and after that, we had the Fablements versus Women Talking, the eighth seed versus the ninth seed right here. And unfortunately, Women Talking lost this prize. Ugh. I predicted the Fablements. I think last week I said Women Talking, but I looked back at my predictions. I had the Fablements here. So yeah, uh, the Fablements is there, which means next round, everything ever all at once is going up against the Fablements. And can we agree everything ever all at once takes this? Yes, I would agree there. Fablemans did kind of win by a good margin. It was about a 20% swing between the two films. But uh, Fablemans is one of the first movies to have to face up against another Best Picture nominee. And now it has to do it again. But this time, it probably won't be victorious. As Mm -hmm. mentioned before, Babylon the 20C takes down a Best Picture nominee of Top Gun Maverick. And that will face the winner of this Best Animation matchup between Marcel the Shell, the 28th seed, and Pinocchio, the 21 seed. And Pinocchio, as expected, comes out on top, 60 to 40. I think Babylon will win against Pinocchio, but I really hope Pinocchio can can pull it through because I'm not a huge fan of Babylon, but I love Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I think it probably will be our tightest matchup of next round. Will it be a one-point difference? Probably not, but I think it could be within 10 votes. Yeah, Babylon will win, but the question is by how much. 
So we go from our tightest matchup to our biggest blowouts. Banshees, the two seed, 86% of the vote, over 14% going to Bones and all. The lowest seed, 47, officially out of the tournament. That's got to hurt for you. It does, but I feel much better going into our next matchup. We have our other best picture matchup of this previous round, the 7v10 Avatar The Way of Water triumphs over Triangle of Sadness. So I may lose Bones and all, but I still have the Na'vi. That said, you're not going to have the Na'vi for much longer because the Banshees of Nisharan is definitely going to uh, trounce after the Way of Water here. It's going to be a landslide. Probably, and most likely will. And one that was a landslide, I wasn't really expecting it to be this big of a blow. The Batman, 19 seed, kind of blows out all Quine the Western Front, the number three mm -hmm. seed. Yeah, that's pretty shocking to me, actually, that it was that big a victory. We both thought that the Batman would win, because a lot of people just hate All Quiet. I didn't expect it to be that big of a win, though. I wonder where the, the hate for All Quiet came from, because I don't remember anyone really even talking about it before the nominations, the BAFTA. Like, I know you and I are both like, we like this, you loved it. Uh, when you yeah. saw that TIFF, and when I saw it on Netflix, I was like, yeah, this is good. Like, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this. And it seemed like most people felt that way. And then I guess it being number two in the Oscars made it the villain. Now people hate it for some reason, but I don't There was really a lot of backlash it. about the adaptation. A lot of people hated the music of it. Um, some people just thought it was emotionally manipulative. I know a, a few people in our Discord really hate the film because they feel it is extremely manipulative. They hate the music. They think that it's overly pretty for a film as dark as it, and it, uh, it overly aestheticizes war. Which I disagree with, and I've, I've spoken about why I disagree with that many times on this channel. But um, I, I do see where the hate comes from on this film. And then finally, in our last round, how big of a blowout was this? Because it's Tar at number 6 versus Navalny at number 22. What was the, was the score there? It was 78 to 22. Oh, that's not as big a landslide as I thought. But obviously Tar prevails. It does. And I mean, like I mentioned last time, I thought people would vote Navalny, like myself, that just don't really like Tar, but obviously would not be enough to take down Tar. So that brings us to our Elite Eight. We will recap these matchups real quick before we get out of here. Mm -hmm. In our top bracket, we have Everything Everywhere All at Once versus the Fablemans. The winner represents that bracket. I think it's pretty clear. Everything Everywhere probably yep. has the biggest blowout of this round. I agree. Everything Everywhere All at Once is going to take down the Fablemans easy peasy, and it's going to head on its way to the win. Then we have Babylon versus Pinocchio. I think, if I'm not wrong, these are our two lowest seeds remaining at 20 and 21, respectively, to represent their bracket. They are indeed. They are the two biggest upsets that we have in the game at the moment. They've been upsets uh, multiple times now, I believe. So uh, they are moving forward and carrying through that lower seed title. But I think I Babylon it... is going to be the winner here. I, I think I'm inclined to agree, but I guess it helps when your two Best Picture nominees in your bracket are Maverick and Elvis, two of, I guess, the least beloved, even though they're two I really like, but least beloved over the course of the majority of Best Picture nominees. So we have two brackets where it's two Best Pictures, one where it's zero and one where it's one, but this one has Banshees and Avatar. But as you mentioned, in the Battle of the Banshee, the one with the Banshee in the title does get the win. Banshee absolutely will win that prize. Uh, and then it's going to go up against a very hard one, because what is the next matchup? We have the 19 of the Batman and the 6 seed of Tarv. And as I mentioned, each week, 
Batman has had the toughest road here. It beat Nope. It beat Glass Onion. It's beat All Quiet. Can it beat Tar? No. <laughs> no. Hey, anything is possible in this game. You know why it's possible? Because everyone out there, you get to vote. The link is in the description. It's only like four matchups here. This will take like 30 seconds maybe. Get your vote and have a chance to win a poster if you enter our predictions because sadly i'm still out in front <laughs> um but this this still there's still chances to beat me i have a max score of 367 but there's uh who is it here nico is back in the race he has a max score of 630 so if it looks like a pinocchio beats babylon he will jump me in the standings yeah it all depends on that pinocchio babylon um race right there because you were one of the few people that that called that Babylon was going to beat Top Gun Maverick in that round. I think most people would have said that Top Gun Maverick would win there. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, most people were wrong on that match. But yes, you are in first place, and if you win, I want you gloating with that poster. I want you getting a Minions poster and putting it on your wall. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll switch out. I have some other posters I haven't put up yet, but yes, I'll get a Minions poster here. I'll put up a uh, maybe I'll get a Bardo poster. Get the one with him dancing in the club, and that can oh that would be cool. Be the mainstay really cool. from behind me. That'd be a really cool one. Yeah, commemorate your bad first pick. Well, speaking of that bad first overall pick, we are going to be having a fantasy film ball 2023 season roundup next week on the show, where I get to talk all about how smart I was to pass up on the Fablemans for Bardo. Matt, are you excited? I'm really excited. It's going to be great to have our pals, Film Drunk and Brother Bro, back, as well as Arno and Austin, and just talk about the craziness of the awards season and the bad or good choices we made all the way back in September. Yeah, I mean, there's some good... I, I joked about the Bardo one, but I did... I was on the draft all quiet, so I guess it kind of evened out by getting the Best Picture nominee later, even if I whiffed on a first-round selection, but... Yeah, we have a lot more fun things to talk about next week as well because we get to do some more movie reviews. I think that we'll finally get to talk Super Mario Bros. next week. Who isn't excited mm -hmm. for the most divisive movie of the year, apparently, between critics and audiences? I guess so. I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm probably going to go see it this weekend. I will as well, and we will continue our Oscar predictions a whole year out doing some, you know, specialized categories. We got documentary, animated, international, who knows? I'm Tess oh, yeah. Do I have Mario in my lineup? I guess you have to come back next week to find out. <laughs> I guess so. It might change after you see it, right? You know, definitely. I think right now it's that borderline five, six spot. So now yeah. I know, is it my five or is it my six? Also, the canned lineup is being announced next week. So we're going to be starting like a very special project around Cannes. But also, it'll give us more of an idea of what the international contenders this year are. Yeah, is Lashimura for real, or have we both been predicting this for no real reason at all? Exactly. You know, it's uh, something's going to happen next week, and I can't wait to see what it is. But until next time, my name is Matt. My name is Dill, and this is Fancy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning to this episode of Fancy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FFilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show, and come back next week.